each country will decide what works best for them. They will, of course, reopen at different times. And I think our role in this would be, of course, sharing information, promoting these campaigns, but also to talk us as unique about the value of going to the cinema and sharing that amazing experience together. From Box Office Pro, I'm Russ Fisher, and this is the Box Office Podcast. Over the past few weeks, we've looked at how the isolating tactics used to combat the spread of the coronavirus have affected movie theaters in the United States. Today, we're going to get a sense of what's happening in Europe. I'm joined by Daniel Luria, Editorial Director of Box Office Pro. Welcome back, Daniel. Hey, Russ. Hi, how are you? Good. You know, it's been a, a busy week here with another one of our live sessions that we did with uh, the International Union of Cinemas, otherwise known as Unique, out of Europe. Fantastic. So yeah, this week we're going to jump off from a box office live webinar that you co-hosted, which featured uh, major figures from the European exhibition business. And then we also have uh, returning to join us, Rebecca Polly, the deputy editor at Box Office Pro. Welcome back, Rebecca. Hey, Russ. Happy to be back. Great to have you again. And so let's begin this discussion by diving into what this, what unique is. Daniel, you just mentioned them briefly. I'd love if you could explain a little bit more about what unique is and uh, what role it has in the European industry. So unique is a grouping of uh, national trade bodies and key operators across Europe and let's call it Europe adjacent territories, meaning the UK, of course, which is uh, no longer part of uh, the EU, but is still part of unique. These 38 countries, in many cases, they have their own trade body for their national cinemas. A good example is the UKCA, the UK Cinema Association. But in other cases, some countries don't have a national trade body that represents cinemas. So that way you introduce and invite several of the key operators and stakeholders in the industry to be part of this group. So you have a, a list of 38 territories uh, across this region, very, very influential. Seven of the top 15 global box office markets are part of Unique. And together, they communicate a lot of uh, initiatives, they share information, and they work to lobby in front of uh, regional European government bodies for some of the priorities that the theatrical exhibition industry has. Obviously, in this case, with the economic fallout from the COVID-19 crisis, they've had their hands full in recent weeks. And so correct me if I'm wrong, but my impression would be that similar to the way that, say, a theatrical market in Los Angeles is different from one in Oklahoma City to some extent, that all of the different members of Unique have some specific and, if you will, unique requirements when it comes to their respective markets. Yeah, everyone is playing with a different set of rules coming from a different country, right? And uh, that also extends to the box office performance and the size of each market. 2019 was a very positive year for the unique member countries. 
We saw 1.34 billion admissions last year alone in these markets uh, when combined, including some very strong results in, in markets like Russia, France, and the United Kingdom. You also had some important uh, bounce backs in markets like Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and the Netherlands, and uh, growth in the box office in countries like Spain, Portugal, and Italy. It was really uh, mostly in Scandinavia where we saw those admissions and box office numbers drop year over year. So looking at these different markets, all of them with different national film industries, different domestic products, different uh, rules and uh, economic policies. Together, they came into 2020 in a pretty good economic state. And then obviously, coronavirus hit the fan. So I guess the first big question is, you know, in the United States, one of the big governmental responses to the coronavirus crisis was the passing of a stimulus package. Is there something similar that might benefit the cinemas that fall under the umbrella of Unique? You know, it's somewhat similar in the sense that uh, there's been a 500 billion euro package recently put forward. But as is the case in the U.S., that isn't sector specific. That goes to a number of different industries, right? We got the opportunity to get the reaction of the CEO of Unique, uh, Laura Hulgat-Abbott, about what this stimulus package can mean for the region's cinemas. When it comes to stimulus package, I think one thing everyone needs to keep in mind without going too much into the details is that any money that the EU is spending comes mainly from the member states. Then this has to be implemented by EU countries and they will decide how they will spend the money. So, so far we have, for example, you know, a Corona Response Investment Initiative, which is basically giving money to what we call the structural funds. And that's up to regions within the EU to decide how they will spend that money and which industries they will support. We have uh, more flexibility regarding state aid rules. So member states can decide uh, to support a specific sector of their economy. And normally the rules are extremely strict. So you can support, of course, your cultural sector if you decide to. Uh, you can also support the fishing sector, for example. So a couple of things come to mind there. For one, there's the fact that the stimulus package in the United States is complicated by virtue of having to address a lot of different sectors. This package we're discussing here that Laura just mentioned is even more complicated because it has to be implemented by different countries, all of which might have different approaches for doing so. Because that's a little beyond the scope of what we're talking about here. I do think it's important to emphasize that as in the U.S., this stimulus package is not specific to any one business or sector, which means I assume that money has to go to a lot of different things. Absolutely. And every country has a different relationship with their own entertainment industry and within that entertainment industry, a different relationship with the roles that cinemas uh, play within that industry. You have examples like France where they are very, very closely tied together and, and cinemas do have very close ties to the government. And you also have situations, unfortunately, like in Spain, where the entire box office was upended for a good period last decade when the government imposed very, very high taxes on cinema tickets, which uh, created a, a very big distance between Spanish cinemas and their own government. So from a country-by-country -country basis, 
the political relations to sort of figure out what piece of the pie goes where is incredibly more nuanced and complicated. Of course, had the stimulus package you talk about, which was three things. Half of it goes straight to the health sector. Then a big part of it goes to a new plan called SURE, which is loans given to EU countries to help them with their employment initiatives or unemployment initiatives. And the last one is the European Guarantee Fund, which is giving insurance to national banks to give loans to companies that are the most affected by the crisis. It can all turn to be very technical. So everyone knows we will actually, we are working on a document that we'll put on our website, on the UNIQ website, to look into all these EU initiatives that might benefit cinemas. Last week, all the EU ministers for culture met by a video conference. And in the press conference after this meeting, cinemas were specifically mentioned as having suffered massively from this crisis and has an industry that was in great need of support. And that was Laura Holgate-Abbott, again, the CEO of Unique, giving a little more details about the specifics of the application of the stimulus package in the EU. Now, we in the US were at the point where, just before we recorded this today, the CEO of Cinemark suggested that they might begin to reopen their circuit by July 1st. There are a lot of other conversations swirling around about when communities can reopen, if you want to use the word reopen there, and more specifically, when other types of businesses will be able to resume their operations. Where do things stand in Europe at this point? Well, it's a little bit all over the place, right? It's uh, it's quite complicated. You have uh, some countries like Denmark, for example, where uh, the government is protecting laid-off workers, such as those that work in cinema, by paying most of their salaries. And they've even gone ahead and covered important aspects of making sure that movie theaters can reopen, such as covering fixed costs like rent, during this pause for cinemas. So a country like Denmark is an example of a country where they've been quite close to the sector and have been able to give more dedicated aid and assistance during this period. You have other markets uh, such as Sweden where we're hearing reports that there are some cinemas that are still open, that are still operational, though we are hearing also that uh, not too many audiences are, are coming in because they're obviously concerned by the situation. Of course, you have a situation such as France where cinemas are closed and will remain closed for uh, the foreseeable future since they have very strict uh, lockdown rules during this time. Even when you have a situation where a country is putting on specific policies and guidelines, those can change regionally. We saw that in the uh, ramp down of cinemas starting to close because of this crisis in countries like France, where, for example, specific regions in France started enacting half capacity measures well in advance than cinemas in other parts of the country. Or you have examples like in Italy, where the northern part of the country was affected by coronavirus first and saw its cinemas close before the rest of the countries. So even on a national level, there is a sort of gradual way of dealing with a problem that is very responsive depending on what the level of the health crisis is in a not only country by country basis, but a state by state basis in some of these countries. 
This is something that uh, Jaime Terrazon, uh, SVP of Unique, was able to, to go into detail. He, uh, he is in Spain and is obviously very close to the experience uh, that Spanish cinemas are going through, but he's also uh, able to provide some insight as to where some of the other countries in Europe and some of these other Unique members, uh, what their experience has been through this crisis. We uh, have different experiences in different countries. We have a country like Austria that is just started to reopen, not cinemas, but yes, economic activity this week. So we can uh, learn from different experiences in different countries. And that is the role. It has been explained that uh, Unique is uh, bringing to all its members and associations and companies around Europe and its territories. So that allows us to be more flexible and to have more elements to convince our governments or to advocate for different solutions. We have started in this in uh, different moments of times. There are some territories that were heavily impacted initially, others that have uh, coped better with the current situation. But I guess that uh, by the end of all this, if we are good at combining our experiences and learning from them, we might be coming out of that uh, more or less at the same time, which is one of our big challenges now uh, if we're looking for solutions for reopening our activities and our cinemas. So yes, like like Jaime said, and and like Laura and uh, Phil Clapp at Unique have been saying, all these different territories went into this at different points. There are different points in the spectrum, medical, economic, Daniel, like you mentioned, we have a situation in Sweden where there are some cinemas uh, that are still open as of this point. If you're looking at the recovery period now, um, there are certain markets like France, for example, that have a very you know, incredibly strong local film market. And, and that's going to have a direct impact on the issue of film availability once theaters do start to open up. Something that was expressed in the live session is that, you know, waiting for these big studio films to come out, are we just waiting on the U.S. to get better before these markets in Europe can get the films? And in order to fill that gap, it's going to be the potential for classic films, you know, films from the vault, but also local productions, and certain markets are going to have more access to those than others, which are going to affect the timeline of their recovery and how robust that recovery will be before we start to see some of these bigger tent poles come out. That's a great point, Rebecca. If we look at, at the role that local productions have in some of these markets, it ranges wildly, right? I mentioned Germany earlier that that is seeing a bit of a that had been seeing a bit of a rebound in 2019. Of course, when we see these big shifts on a market by market basis, it's usually by the success of their domestic titles, meaning that US Hollywood imports create a sort of communal base of grosses. And from there, it's the performance of uh, national cinema, domestic titles, that really can make it a successful or a not as successful year for a lot of these territories. For example, in 2019, a market like Turkey had 54% of its box office be represented by domestic titles. That's it's a massive percentage. Behind them is France, which has a huge tradition and domestic cinema plays a very important role 
their box office uh, for domestic titles is represented by about 35%. So it's a little bit more than a third of France's box office comes from national cinema. So these are the two sort of leading markets in Europe where domestic titles play a big role. And it all comes down to the quality of films that are out there. Like everywhere else, are these movies that domestic audience will be able to, to connect with? It's interesting that in these days of a European Union, and even on the on the other side of the coin of uh, of nationalism and, and isolationism, there really isn't that many examples of a sort of pan-European film or a domestic film that sort of plays across all European markets equally as successfully. Those are very rare to find. The market is really structured by having this uh, base of Hollywood titles and the domestic titles that either hit or don't with audiences. And it'll be very interesting to see how that can either help or hinder a lot of these markets. And Daniel, like you mentioned earlier, also it comes back to what are the different political requirements in certain markets. Some markets have quotas. Some markets have specifically introduced measures to, to keep local film markets strong. That's certainly the case in China, where there are very strong government restrictions on what and how many international films can play. And now we're looking at a situation, once cinemas open back up, there are a whole boatload of Hollywood films that have never shown in China that could ideally kind of come in and fill that gap. So along those lines, do either of you have any impression of how the coronavirus has affected domestic production in some of these territories, akin to the way that it has certainly affected production in the United States? Well, that's a great observation, Russ. I, I think the entire production cycle for cinema is in the same space right now. Not to mention that a lot of Hollywood productions also choose to shoot in Europe. Uh, when all of this started, we we heard about delays for the next uh, Mission Impossible movie starring uh, Tom Cruise over in Italy, which was shooting at the time when Italy started closing. So in terms of pipeline of products, I think the same issues affecting the titles that we're expecting next year in Hollywood are going to be affecting these domestic markets. Now, it's important to say that with this pause also brings the musical chairs of release dates that we're seeing in the US. So it's a situation where I think a lot of the productions on pause right now will probably be delayed while some of the films that were supposed to hit the market as we speak are probably going to take their place in the coming months. So once we get to a position where doors of theaters are reopening, there's popcorn in there again and theaters on the screens, does Unique have any conception of how they might encourage audiences to return to see movies at theater again once we get past the immediate crisis? Well, it's interesting you bring that up because by the time that one market reopens, it might not be the case in the market next door. So it's it's going to make a international coordinated marketing campaign around a return to cinemas kind of tricky. Not to mention that the safety guidelines and the sanitation policies in place are probably gonna differ from country to country. So we might be looking at a scaled or tiered cinema experience that, that changes depending on which market you're in. We were able to get an exchange on this topic from uh, Laura Ulgadabot, the, uh, the CEO at, at Unique, 
and uh, Phil Clapp, the, the president at Unique and also the CEO of the UK Cinema Association. There is, of course, there's not one size fits all message. And again, I think that will vary a lot from territory to territory. And, you know, each country will decide what works best for them. They will, of course, reopen at different times. And I think our role in this will be, of course, sharing information, promoting these campaigns, but also to talk us as unique about the value of going to the cinema and sharing that amazing experience together. And that we can do, of course, at our regional level. I think there's a danger in seeing the audience as one homogenous group. And, you know, we know that this virus is, presents a greater yeah. risk to some subsectors of the audience than others. And so one of the things I think we need to be mindful of is that different audience subsets may have a different perception of the threat that going to the cinema poses and their readiness to go to the cinema as a result of that. So that suggests to be a number of things. As Laura said, it suggests maybe a, a more segmented message, you know, something this is entirely a generalization, but something which is more about the excitement of cinema going for a younger audience and something which tempers that some with messages around, you know, the, the safeguards that are in place for a slightly older audience, people like me. The other thing is that that also speaks potentially to the content mix. So when we go back, you know, are we providing content for those people we think are most likely to go back? Or are we also mixing in content for people we most need to encourage to come back in because they're the people who are most hesitant about doing so. So the lesson I take from that is this needs to be analysis and insight driven. There can't be an assumption that the message which works for one part of the audience is the message which works for another part of the audience. It's definitely important, massively important to uh, have these back to cinema campaigns. You can't treat uh, customers like they're all the same like they're all going to be at the same comfort level at coming back to theaters and that they're all going to want to see the same things. I know we spoke earlier about film availability. There have been concerns about the pipeline that when theaters come back, there will be that maybe initial period where there's not a whole lot to see, but then there will just be this glut of content, you know, depending on how studios date their films. But that I don't think that necessarily has to be a bad thing. I don't think that a superhero film and a film maybe more targeted towards a 55 plus market necessarily really have to cannibalize each other. That's something that now that theaters regrettably have the time, you know, look at the data, look at the demographics uh, that you've compiled over the years uh, from your loyalty programs, from your subscription programs. Take a look at who you're marketing to and come up with different marketing campaigns for these different segments. We don't know when it's going to be country to country, when it's time to start launching these go back to the cinema campaigns. But when it's time to go, it's time to go. So I think everyone needs to start getting ready for it now. Rebecca, don't you dare insinuate that I won't get my Dame Judi Dench historical drama <laughs> in October. I need that. It's part of my calendar. Oh. <laughs> I would be heartbroken if it's not there. Triple feature, that, Bond, uh, Mulan. Not bad. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, you could do that. Hey, look, I don't know anyone who was listening over the last couple of weeks or heard me express my concerns about Dune. And this mm -hmm. week, Vanity Fair has given us the gift of the first images of Timothy Chalamet as a potential universal dictator from the sands of Arrakis. And so I'm happy. Maybe we get Dune this December after all. I tried to read Dune. I tried, Russ. I tried. <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> Didn't make it. <laughs> 
So my wife and I were talking about this last night because she read the book years ago and I kind of approach it like the thing with Dune, I love the book and I love David Lynch's movie, but one of the things about the book is that he doesn't write scenes in the way that a lot of authors traditionally do. He kind of writes characters reacting to what would be the big scene in a more traditional novel, which turns it into a really kind of weird experience. But anyway, that's not really the point. I just want if if the Denis Villeneuve version doesn't have staying at a metal bikini bottom, I'll still see it, but I won't be pleased. Yeah, we should craft the entire Return to Cinema's message around archival footage of Sting in metal bikini bottoms. But, well, and uh, I think to take it back, I mean, I think that is something important that local markets can do. Get their local film stars, their local directors, their local executives in the distribution space. It's not just about theaters saying, come back to theaters. If all these different markets are going to have to craft their own back to cinema campaigns around their own requirements and their own timelines, which they're going to have to, be sure to get your local talent uh, rallying the audience to your cause. I think that's a great point. It's something we've been seeing here in the U.S. in this interim period with a campaign from Lionsgate, Fandango, and uh, the National Association of Theater Owners that are hosting these sort of uh, live YouTube cinema parties where proceeds are going to go to the Pioneers Assistance Funds that are helping cinema workers. It's a sort of early prototype for a rallying around the industry at a time where right now it's probably not the best time to, to promote movie going. Uh, I think right now it's a good time to promote the affected workers, to promote the industry, but uh, it, it's probably a little bit too early to encourage uh, a return to cinemas. I think mm-hmm. when the time is right, uh, as Rebecca mentions, you're going to see a lot of these local stars, a lot of these influential figures come out and support movie going, but only when it's safe to do so. I think a return to cinema message has to come when we can celebrate movie going and not when we're concerned that someone might get sick from movie going, which is is a crucial lesson that that we all learned from the Chinese experience, right? We heard those reports a couple of weeks back that Chinese cinemas started to reopen and then suddenly just closed back again. I think uh, that it was a great lesson for the whole world to sort of see that you really have to take your time and you really have to be plan very, very well in a coordinated way so you communicate efficiently with the audience and say, we're ready to reopen rather than jumping the gun. Well, Daniel and Rebecca, thank you both so much for joining me again. This has been a terrific uh, week to speak to you once again. Thank you. Thanks, Russ. And thank you all for listening. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Bradley Denham and Caitlin Kehoe and written and narrated by Daniel Luria and Russ Fisher. Please rate and subscribe to the Box Office Podcast using your preferred listening platform. And join us next week when we return.